Okay, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word to the Apostle Paul. So Father, may we all be attentive and may I be a guide through the text to just point out what's clearly there, to help apply it to our individual lives and our corporate life as a church. Oh, may I not say falsehoods. Protect, and if I do, protect minds from it. And we need this for the glory of our Savior working in the midst of His church. In Jesus' name, Amen. Are you a Lone Ranger Christian? Are you under the impression that Christianity is about Jesus coming to save millions upon millions upon millions of separate, standalone human beings throughout all eternity instead of His coming to build for Himself one body, one bride made up of untold myriads of sinners coming to saving faith, whom He has purposed to weld together by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, and by doing down here church life together. Are you a person who makes decisions about attending church services, attending small groups, Bible studies, etc., purely based upon what's in it for me. As opposed to also your presence and your contribution and your words and your personality are needed by others. See, if any of that describes you, then Ephesians 4 seeks to challenge your outlook of the Christian life. 
Or are you a person who loves every gathering of the church? You love to share your life with others. But you don't particularly like others to challenge your lifestyle, your ideas about God, your ideas about the Christian life. Then you might not like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. But if you love Christ as a broken, sinful, human being who has come alive to Him and your direction is presently walking in the light as He is in the light and your desire is to pursue holiness and to grow in the Lord Jesus, then in the midst of all of the imperfections of life, Ephesians 4 will be like a sweet oasis to you. See here... Paul lays out the mechanics of the ongoing operation of his bride, of the church, of his body that he loves so deeply. So, if if you're there in Ephesians 4, this is our third week since verse 11. And last week, we concentrated on verses 11. And so I just want to summarize that briefly. What we saw as we move on. What we saw last week is that each and every Christian is a minister to the body. And we saw that the focus of that ministry of each and every one of us is to build up the body of Christ. Start with verse 11. And Jesus, as He ascended on high, He gave gifts. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints. That's all the Christians there in the body. For what? For the work. Because they each have work to do. It's the work of ministry. What is that work? of their ministry. It is for the building up of the body of Christ. And so we saw last week that the goal of each and every one of us as individuals is not merely to think about and only be building up that other individual and that individual, but it is this corporate mindset of how all those pieces fit the whole. The body of Christ in its local expression down here. And we saw then, okay, build each other up. What does that mean? Paul was clear. It's right there in verse 13. Because he gives us the goal of our work of ministry, of building up. It is until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Christian doctrine. The Gospel. That we see it. We're in on it. To the unity of the faith and attain to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
And so that unity around Christian doctrine, it means we are to be in the process constantly of pursuing the attaining of a corporate personality that is growing to reflect the body matching the head closer and closer. Jesus Christ. Where Christ, what He's about, what He has done, the Gospel is reflected through His body in local expressions. This is how He said it. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, literally, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so Paul has said that the job of each and every one of you here at Sovereign Grace and any other members of churches throughout the world, the job of each and every one of you is not just your own conformity to the image of Christ. But it's a corporate endeavor. It is a concern for the whole body where Christ has put you. And what do we look like? What part do I play? And so Paul tells us, Jesus is the fully mature head. We're the body. And at times it looks so emaciated. And like a seven-year-old or a three-year-old. That's the image it gives. And so it's the pursuit of maturity, of attaining to the full stature of Christ. We are utterly incomplete. And therefore the goal, Paul says, of each and every individual is ministering within the body. And their ministry is to cause the body as a whole to develop and to grow into the kind of maturity that looks and reflects more of who Christ is. Okay, that was last week. So now, this morning, I want us to consider that there's no such thing as the unified identity, the plurality that is one body, without considering and understanding there are individuals who make up that body. Let's just say that instead of attaining the unity of faith, our goal, well, Pete's not with us anymore, but he might be in in an airplane flying over and uh, Bob's old friend and neighbor. And and Pete's going to take a picture because Sovereign Grace is after something. It is to get this picture as we all gather together at El Porto on the sand at 42nd Street so that when he takes the picture, you see one green dot representing all the people together. And we say, oh, it's about the whole. So you don't think anything about how you show up. So you show up in a red shirt. Another shows up in a pink shirt and a white hat. No one thinks. It's not about that. This is what I said last last week. The point is, the the whole thing is really about the whole. So it's about the whole. I'll just, don't even think about it. And you get the picture that Pete takes. There's no green dot there. Just all kinds of different colors and 
didn't reach it at all. Because of course if we're going to be a green dot together on the sand, you dress in green. You think about what you're wearing in bringing to the party here about your own maturity. I hope that helped. So, so, so what I mean is that each person's maturity within the church, as the church as a whole, as the body of Christ as a whole, is maturing, each person's maturity results in our not being gullible to false doctrine. That's not me speaking. That's Paul in this passage. Look at verse 14. Here's a goal. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So, when the whole body, flowing out of verse 11, the teaching ministries within the church, when the whole body then is interacting and sharpening and encouraging and correcting one another, the members are growing in their discernment of what is biblical, what is true versus what is false, of what kind of appropriate inferences from biblical passages are valid and which are not. To the point then, now they're more mature, the spiritual antennas are developed and they're growing. And therefore, they see through the charismatic personality teaching error. Persuasive, bowled over, so gifted. No, I'm more mature, but did you hear what they actually said? Maturity in Christ means there's a slowing down and a refusing to be tricked by subtle manipulation of words, language, tone. But that tone is like the most loving thing I've ever heard from a public speaker. And you're sucked in. You almost forget what is he saying? But as believers mature, they ask, I want to have clarity. And a lot of the subtlety within the Christian church is a skillful ambiguity. And because Christians maturing love the Christ that is seen through the Scripture, when He is, how do you say, caused to be seen less starkly, 
by preachers or teachers. There is a growing discontent. There is, what are you saying? What are the conclusions? I want to see Jesus. Because they're driven to relish their Savior as He's revealed through the apostles and the prophets. Since the whole body then is made up of people coming with green hats, green shirts, green pants, and green everything, or we're all coming to it, it's appropriate to ask each person as they enter the parking lot, you got all green on, or how are you doing? And so with the physician in the health of a body, ask individual parts questions like this. Are you a child in listening to religious leaders who will quote a scripture, a few scriptures, and then go on to advocate something that fails to take into account all kinds of other scriptures and it just won't fit? But it sounds good. And it's sprinkled with the name of Jesus all over the place. And of course, you always sprinkled with God is love. So, for instance, here, here, let me give you a little mini sermon. Jesus welcomed sinners. He ate with them. Did you know that, Christian? Therefore, we, as believers in local churches, should welcome into membership and grant a, cer- a, a surety of salvation to unrepentant adulterers. And by the way, you know Jesus did say, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And from the biblically immature, spiritually immature Christian, there is often a tilt of the head and a tacit agreement. Yeah. That's right. Love is the thing. And they have no discernment. They have no discernment not knowing that that man within a paragraph just swept aside crystal clear New Testament teaching concerning church membership in church discipline. No discernment. That with one sweep of the arm, he has wiped clear biblical doctrine off the table. And the gullible, the childlike thinker, Nod. Yeah. Because they're feelings. Not truth. But their feelings control them. And thus, when the winds blow on the sea of false doctrine, they are easily swayed. Or, you may hear, here's another example. You read a book 
or you hear a dynamic school of thought within the church world. Some of us have friends that were involved when this happened numbers of years back. And a persuasive, very sure of himself kind of speaker advocating salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And anybody who internally agrees with that proposition and they confess Christ is my Savior, they are saved. And therefore, that, nothing wrong with that yet. But now, therefore, the inference, those thousands upon thousands of churches in church history who advocate that those persons must bear fruit of repentance in their lives if they truly are saved by their faith, though they are all preaching false doctrine. That's a false gospel because we know that we're saved by faith. But belief alone that is totally separated, not just distinct, but separated from the obligation of loving Christ. Following Christ. Of living a repentant life and hating their sin. Of fleeing adultery and fornication and thievery and gossip and backbiting, etc. They are preaching false gospel. And many are swept away. But grown-ups... Biblically mature Christians, spiritually developed local churches, they know how absurd and unbiblical a theology like that is because they read the whole Bible. They've been in the Bible. They stay in the Bible. And they know that that position cannot stand up to a myriad of New Testament texts. And when those texts that would seem to refute it, are dealt with by the false doctrine, they will look at it and realize, you just totally blew that out of context. You're not thinking clearly. But many who are yet children in their thinking, according to Paul, they are tossed to and fro by the waves and they're carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness with presentation in deceitful schemes. Paul lets us know that the misuse and the misinterpretation of Scripture is designed to sway the immature. And so, back to the question Are you growing? Are you growing to be more discerning? more discriminating about theological statements and about doctrine of the Christian life and how shall we then live. But even more importantly in all that, do you listen for the arguments and are you discerning on whether their arguments are biblical and do they support the conclusions? In other words, can you read your own Bible well and sniff out those who butcher the text? Jesus, the Savior, 
the head of the church does not want his people to remain childish in their thinking so that they would be easily blown away by every new fangled idea within the Christian church that comes along. And I promise you that in the months and the years to come, you're going to say, I'm already here. I know, I'm telling you, you will be hearing more and more voices coming from evangelical churches and Christian universities that will cry out, they or, and or we are your brothers and your sisters. And we are homosexuals. We were made that way. God made us that way. And we love Jesus also. And therefore, for Christians' love's sake, accept and embrace our decision to act out our homosexual desires and orientation in loving same-sex sexual relationships. And the appeal will be emotionally compelling. Because, yeah, that's my friend. I know her. I know him. I love him. That's my sibling. That's my child. the gullible, the childish, I'm blown away with the wind and overcome because the power of their emotions is bigger than the strength and the depth of their gospel knowledge. And then they're going to feel the need for 2,000 years of Christian history and understanding Moses and Paul concerning the issue of homosexual activity, that stance must now in our culture be abandoned or else I am going to feel like a pariah, a dinosaur. I know I'm going to be in the eyes of many people just like, to them, a racist Ku Klux Klaner. Don't worry, because there are saviors on the way to help you abandon this historic understanding of homosexual activity. There will be professors, theologians, and pastors advocating a new hermeneutic, a new way to understand Paul 
in Moses, and they will, and they have already been. Advocating, for instance, Paul never meant to forbid monogamous, committed, loving sexual relationships between two men or two women. And now you got what you need. I can make the transition. Because they said it. They're smarter than I am. And the wind is blown. And you toss to and fro. But Christian maturity, the unity around the faith, it reaches out to same-sex attracted persons whom Jesus has called to saving faith. And it says to them, I deeply feel for you. I can only imagine the prospect as you think of your future and the down here and the burden that that must be like. But I want you to know that we, the body, embrace you. We stand with you. We're not against you. We stand because you you're, our, you're a beacon of what it means to trust in Jesus. You're a bright star and an example as you stand and with your life and with your words, you say, yes, I'm driven toward the same sex. Sexually. But that... That is my brokenness in a broken and sinful world. My Savior is coming back one day and everything messed up will be put right. I do not count my sexual orientation as my identity. I will not allow, therefore, those temptations to become my lifestyle, my actions. But I will say with the Apostle Paul, I delight in the law of God. In my inner being, I so yearn. But I see in my members another law. It's waging war against the law of my mind. It's making me captive to the law of sin and and death that dwells within my members. Wretched, wretched man that I am will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be Be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I don't live 
for this world. I live for the one my heart has awoken by the Holy Spirit to long for. And there are unimaginable glories that I will enjoy directly from God the Father in His kindness on that day. This passage this morning is terribly, terribly, crucial and important for us Christians in this world now and in this country. In the midst of our growing rapidly pagan culture. This culture that is now clearly out of the closet anti-Christian. Anti-Christian values and ethics. And it is confronting and will be confronting us in ways you still can't not imagine. In the workplace, in the government, churches, in culture itself, and in communities, and baseball leagues. And therefore, it will test our biblical discernment in ways unprecedented in any of our lives. And the question will remain, are we babies? Are we children who will then be manipulated by words and trickery and the twist of language and meanings and thus be manipulated by our feelings and temporal reputation? temporal. Positions in life. Or are we grown up? And do we have a mature, robust, biblical worldview that can smell error a mile off? Why? Not because it needed to take 14 different classes on contemporary error that's going on within the church. Because you're so familiar with the truth that when someone finally slips you a counterfeit $100 bill, you know it immediately. Because you work in a bank, they want you to feel and to know everything about what money is. The real thing. And you're not easily blown away when a counterfeit $100 bill comes in. Oh, maturity. Individually, there's local churches in the world. We are desperate for it. And so the question then remains, how do we get there? How do we, as a body, grow up? How do we build up one another in the local church? Here's, so I'm going to pause just to keep that question. Here's Paul. This, this is, I know this is very bold, but here's Paul summarizing what I just said. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay, how? How do we, that's a plural, we come to unity, to deeper and more perceptive and discerning as, as Christians in a very, very dangerous thought world. Paul answers the question in verses 15 and 16. That we no longer be children, but what? Rather, speaking the truth in love. That's how we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, that is, into Christ. From whom? The, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love for one another. So Paul says, the way that we grow up into Christ together is to be conformed to Christ, conformed to the Gospel, to His image, to grow unto the full stature of who Christ really is and what truth is, it is this way. By speaking the truth in love to one another. That's crucial for Paul. That way I read it. Tell me... Now, if you just isolated that statement, speak the truth in love, you might think, okay, yes, life's hard, and families are hard, marriages are hard, and good, and glorious, this life is just constant, it's like that. And in church, in church life, you know, if you ever make yourself vulnerable, you, you know that, you, I finally got to address this person. got to address that person. And there's hard things to say. And so, okay, okay, yeah, so Paul said, do it in love. And, and that's a, let me say, that's very biblical. Galatians 6, okay, brother caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. But do it with, watch your own heart, do it in spirit of gentleness, etc. Later in, in Ephesians, Paul will say that. And you say, yeah, speak the truth in love. And now, that's, that is a Christian value, and that's biblical. But, in this context, that's not Paul's point. The context here 
is all about doctrinal truth. In other words, say it this way. Understanding the gospel and how it has been given through the apostles clearly. Understanding accurately what is written. That is what the context is here. You see, the whole passage, go back to verse 11. Jesus gave gifts. What gifts did He give? He gave doctrinal truth brokers. Truth explainers of the message that has been handed down. Why did He do that? So that they would, through the truth ministry gifts, equip the saints. For what? For each and every one of your work. What work? The work of your contribution in the body of Christ where He has placed you. For what? For causing the body to grow. Building it up. What is the goal as we build it up? It is to attain to the unity of the faith. To attain to the unity of the knowledge of who Jesus really is. The knowledge of the Son of God. It is a unified grasp of the truth. And then in verse 14, Paul shows the huge concern that is in his mind as he writes this. So that we will no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of teaching. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so the key to the maturity of the congregation is true, solid, apostolic doctrine. So that we all will not be gullible to twist. Imperceptible to the immature. Twist of the Gospel. Twist of doctrine. Twist of inferences that look pretty. Really well-made counterfeits. And so Paul's point in the whole passage is clear. The body of Christ is built up in community. Not merely in audiences like going to a movie theater. Excuse me. It's a good movie. And that's it. That's, the movie's crucial. And it's in verse 11. Teaching. Authoritative. Biblical unfolding and explaining is crucial in this text. But that's not the whole ball of wax that he's talking about. That's together with then the equipping which then happens around living room. Happens after church. Happens in a restaurant. Lunches. Dinners. Bible studies. Smaller groups. 
as each person is developing and they're able in all their giftings and loving and practicality and care is cloaked from them also of truth. Christ. Christ. Jesus. The Gospel. His death and resurrection means this and that. This is the future. Here's the goal. Here's how we deal with sin. And Paul does it 127 times. I just threw that out. I don't know. Forgive one another. Here's life, truth. In other words, this happens in real relationships. Yes. It happens in doing life together. It happens in, I'm going to know your life. I feel your pain. But it's not just that. Or you're just a good therapy crew who's going to perish in hell. It is that. But it is coated with... There's a, the, the unity around all of this relationship is something above us all, something glorious to us all, and it is the Gospel. Above all the very needed practical actions, meet in the hospital when they're there, you give time when they need it, they're hurting, wisdom, all of that is... We're all constant with that sensitive truth brokers because you know each other. And when you're in bigger churches, it happens. That's why you break up and okay, I can meet in my group of eight. And I have this Bible study. And, and what's going on in your life? Okay, now they got a right to speak a little bit more because they made themselves vulnerable. love to go on. But we'll come back. We'll come back and continue through this text and try to consider more of the dynamics and the messiness and practicality of working out what Paul says and what he summarizes as I close in verse 16. And from as I close, Serge, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every member, Christian there, with which each Christian is equipped differing gifts and personalities. When each believer, each part, is working properly, that's what makes the whole, the body, grow. So that the body builds itself up in love. Father, there is only one, one crucial need for every one of us to continually and more thoroughly 
grasp and understand the truth the implications and the outgrowth and the contours that you have given to us in Holy Scripture. And that is a desire to know you, to know your Son more. So grant it. Grant it, Father, to the glory of His name and to the building up of each individual and of the whole. 